My name is Sean Thomas, and I'm the author of Be More Today, a 40-day guide to a better version of you. As doctor of physical therapy, I've seen thousands of people do great things. They came to me with ailments, physical ailments, pain, issues, and they got through them, all because they decided in their mind they were going to do it. So I wrote a book about it. Your thoughts can make you great, or they can make you crumble. Those thoughts actually control everything in your life. I have three things I want you to do. Starts. Things I want you to start doing in your life that you said you wanted to do at some point in time. You said them. Stops. Things I want you to stop doing in your life, which I know you also want to stop. And three goals for your lives. And I take you through a 40-day guide to make sure you take those thoughts for those three things into reality. Now, I put some workouts in there too. Workouts to keep you always on the move because you got to keep moving. you got to stay focused. So, 40 days. Thoughts, workouts, you. And all I want you to do is trust the process and just be persistent. Visit BeMoreTodayBook.com. That's right, BeMoreTodayBook.com. And I guarantee you, if you just trust the process and be persistent, you too can be the best version of you. What's going on, folks? Your boy again, Dr. Sean Thomas, back in the building. Be more today's show, episode 89. 89, we're here in the month of March, and we're super excited to be back with you for the March episodes of the Be More Today show. It's been amazing seeing the growth, especially during this year. 89 episodes, and it's been fantastic seeing the people on here inspiring you to be more today. As always, Be More Today show is everywhere. Uh, we are heard now in 56 countries. Um, we're streaming everywhere on your favorite podcast platform. So please go on and subscribe to our show. You can find all things you want to say related on our website, bemoresay.com for my book, which is on Amazon as well. Um, the podcast clearly and our workouts, everything that you need to be more today is on our webpage. And our quote for today is very simple as always. From what we get, we can make a living. What we give, however, makes a life, said by legendary tennis player Arthur Ashe. Um, I, coming out of Black History Month, right, I really was really excited to remember all the things that we've done as people of color. And the giving back that continues to be at the center of our culture, of our heritage, um, is something that, for me, is very, very important. And I've been blessed to be able to receive those givings from other people in my life. People who come before me, who are older than me, who are wiser than me, who came and, and shed life in my life, who put uh, seeds in my life, who planted a foundation of whatever. Um, whatever they were teaching me at that time to be a better person, to be a better uh, parent, a better father, a better, a better clinician, a better dancer, a better runner, all these different things that someone taught me how to do uh, help me to be the person that I am today and a better version of who I am today. And it really is about that. What we give, right, makes that life. And, you know, I, I have a guest on the show today who, to me, is the embodiment of that. She's someone who continues to give back to her community uh, in so many ways. And every time I see her uh, on social media doing her thing, it brings a smile to my face. Not only because I'm impressed with what she's doing, but I'm impressed to see the progress that she's done in her life as a good friend of mine and a fellow former dancer friend of mine as well. Her name is Dr. Hannah Awai. Now, Hannah Awai comes to you 
as a woman who values passion, connection, growth, and contribution. Work life started early for Hannah, by the way, at delivering newspapers and waiting tables as a teenager in Colorado. And after completing undergraduate and medical school at Brown University, Bruno, you know. Bruno, you know. That's right, the healthcare field. Now, she completed training in pediatric gastroenterology, heptology, and nutrition. She provided clinical care in hospitals, outpatient clinics, and urgent care settings. She has also been part of the clinical research studies spanning topics such as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and advanced liver imaging. Currently, Hannah is the medical director of a federally funded program that serves chronically ill children from low-income families in California. This role includes making medical eligibility decisions, working with the regional hospital systems and insurance companies or companions to assure the program runs smoothly, and working on policy with the California Department of Health Care Services. Hannah finds balance outside her career by enjoying fitness and travel. She coaches classes at Orange Theory Fitness and enjoys seeing members through workouts that challenge them physically and mentally. She also teaches group fitness at various resorts throughout Mexico and the Caribbean. And one of her personal goals is to explore three countries every single year. She especially enjoys warm locations in the ocean and when not engaged in things above, I, I just mentioned, you can find her listening to Janet Jackson, an icon, clearly, <laughs> Dancing in her living room, laughing and enjoying chocolate and ice cream. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included, please welcome to the stage my guest for episode 89 of the Viewer Today Show, Dr. Hannah Awai. Phew, phew! Yay, John! Thank you so much, Sean. That was a fantastic introduction. It is so good to see you and be here today. I am just glad that you made time to be with me today. I really appreciate you. And uh, I'm just proud of you. I'm proud of all you've done. I'm proud of all that you, I mean, literally since, since so there were three years between us at, at, at Brown University. We danced together in Fusion Dance Company, as I always say on the show, one of the best dance companies during that time in New England, I think. And, um, you know, I was younger than you in school, but I had a chance to really look at you and just see your growth. And to me, you were a rock star. Um, being in the medical school, graduating medical school, as a dancer, as a black woman, as a woman, as everything, I was like Hannah Awai is the epitome of greatness. So to see you do these things continuously in your life and to still be successful in in various ways, everything you touch, um, it just brings warmth to my heart. Recognizing that you are the epitome of what Be More Today is. So I salute you and just thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And those are amazing and tremendous compliments, which I appreciate so much. It is ironic and interesting. I actually looked up to you the whole time that we were at Brown together. I'm like, man, he's so spiritual. He's so intellectual. He's a track star. He dances. He's friendly. He's fun. He's doing all of these things that embodies the epitome of greatness and be more today. So I just, and even how far you've come since then in terms of what you're doing in your career life, writing books, doing this podcast, raising a family, increasing awareness, just all of these amazing things that continue to leave me looking up to you. So I guess we are on the same page with that. Thank you so much for your compliments and same to you. No problem, Hannah. Now listen, you know, I wanna talk about everything. But I want to kind of start with uh, the medical side. Now, I, pediatrics is, is a 
effective medicine that is very, very specific and very, very heartfelt for many people. Um, so I'm always curious when people get into pediatrics, what inspired them to get into that realm of medicine? What inspired you or what, what brought you to focus on pediatrics? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, and I agree, pediatrics being very heartfelt. You know, within medicine, for a large majority of our careers, we're dealing with death and dying in really difficult situations all the time. So for me, with the opportunity to explore several of the different opportunities in medicine, I found children, even sick children, to still have a light of hope in a way, uh, playfulness in a way. You know, it could be in the hospital full of sick kids and you can still hear giggles down the hall and they still want to throw balls. And even though they're sick, but they're still laughing and trying to play, not, not all the time, but the possibility for this occurred for me more in a children's hospital than in an adult setting. So it just helped to bring a little bit of balance and even a little bit of joy, even in the midst of some of the sickness. And even the children's hospitals, for example, you know, they're bright, there's fun colors, there's games, there's musicians, they'll bring animals. And some of these things occur in adult facilities, but not as many as in children's facilities. So the environment um, helps create something that is a bit uplifting. And so those, that was really the main driving factors behind going into PEDS was that light of hope, the energy, the uplifting um, feeling that I got even in the midst of sickness. And then there's also the opportunity to work really dynamically with families, even though, and when I was in clinical care, my direct focus and my patient is the child, there's no treating the child without working with the family also. And so I really like that cohesive community approach where you need to get oftentimes not only the family on board, but perhaps the school system and anyone else involved in the child's life to really support the child. So there's that extra challenge which I really appreciated of bringing many factors and many people together for the health of one person, which would then extend to the health of the community. So those things really helped solidify PEDS for me. That's great. And, you know, even in, in that demographic, you have chosen a very specific group of pediatric uh, clients to work with, and that is um, low-income children who are facing a variety of issues. Um, what are some of the things that you're seeing in terms of the medical pathologies and the challenges that are facing this particular population? Mm -hmm. So with my current role now in public health and as medical director, so this is not hands-on clinical care, but this is um, more so direction in terms of administration and policy and that sort of thing. So the challenges that I'm seeing are all of the layers that we see that often affect so many people, of, especially of the lower socioeconomic status. So that includes not just the disease condition itself, because for my particular program, they have to have a chronic disease condition, but any factor related to life. Um, how, how, are, how are people gonna get to that appointment? If you don't have a car and there's not a good bus system or you don't have a bike and it's raining outside and it's two o'clock, how are you gonna get there? How are you gonna get back? How are families going to make sure other children are cared for? There's multiple children in the family and only one of them needs to and is allowed to go to the doctor visit. So, you know, transportation. Housing is another issue that affects the, the children and the families that I work with. Um, it's easy for me to say, make sure you get a good night's rest and do this and do all these things. But it's tough to sleep well when you're living with 17 other families or 
perhaps living under a bridge or perhaps moving, you know, from location to location to location frequently. So housing is another issue. Food security is another issue. It's, it's easy for clinicians to say, go eat healthy. If your only option is the corner store, there's a lot more cookies and soda and candy and that sort of thing at the corner store than there are fruits and vegetables and whole grains. Um, so that's an issue. Uh, hmm, language barrier can be an issue that can affect any range of economic status. You know, there are multilingual people among multiple economic status, but especially when families um, happen to be from lower income, maybe economically strained and are also strained to communicate. That makes it really tough to handle the physical condition. Um, I mean, there's, there's even more. Sometimes, not always, but often enough, families that are struggling economically are also struggling socially along lines of addiction. And so if a child is raised in a family where one or both parents are struggling, it's a challenge to figure out how to make sure that that child is cared for in that particular family setting while the parent is going through whatever they're going through in terms of their own mental, physical, and emotional health. Um, so you asked about pathologies. Those are more the, the socioeconomic factors that affect the kids that, that I work with. In terms of pathology, unfortunately, things like cancer will affect anyone of any income, race, gender, and so on. Asthma, obesity, all of these things. When those, factor, when those medical factors are also placed in the setting of a child in a low-income family, the outcomes are often worse. Or, you know, because I mentioned, you know, there's candy and soda and that sort of thing at the corner store. So obesity happens to be worse, generally speaking, in lower socioeconomic families. Cancer outcomes happen to be worse because it's harder to get to appointments. It's harder to follow through in treatment regimens. Asthma tends to be worse because there's more exposure to allergens, perhaps cigarette smoke, perhaps dust mites. So it's not to say that those medical conditions only affect lower income children but the outcomes are worse because of all those factors that I started with in terms of socioeconomic status. So it's really the layers that um, people go through, both the children and the families when they're dealing with their healthcare. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is multi-layered. And, you know, we've had a number of guests on the show who have been physicians and some have been in other uh, realms of healthcare and social workers who um, you know, even like me, physical therapists, and we've all talked about the clinical aspects of it, but having you on the show as the medical director leads us more in the realm of policy changing. And, you know, I, I think you're in a, a very specific position to um, make changes to certain things when it comes to the systemic issues that are continuing to plague uh, this population. What are some of the things that you're seeing or what are some of the ways that you as a medical director have a, a better awareness or at least have uh, more intuition to see how you can change these things from the beginning as opposed to having to deal with them, you know, when someone already has a diagnosis or is too far um, affected by a certain disease or, or pathology. Ooh, <laughs> that is a very complex question. Um, and I think that the answer lies in systemic change. Um, systemic change really from the ground up and the earlier the better. So one very specific example, at least when it comes to pediatrics, is being able to reach parents. Being able to reach parents before they become parents. 
you know? I mean, this is like raising our communities, but um, instilling values and behavior and thought process in people so that if and when it comes time for them to have children, if they're gonna do that, they have all of those things, the thought process and resources and ability to make decisions and a foundation set so that parenting is, I don't wanna say easier because that's not quite the word, but something that they're able to adapt to and flow with as opposed to starting out with a set of so many disadvantages and then throwing parenting on top of that, you know, is, is a huge, huge challenge. So I think starting from the beginning before it even happens, you know, like you said, really is raising our, our communities and our family members and our brothers and our sisters and our cousins to continue to be great people so that they can, can be great parents if and when it comes to that. Same along the lines of um, affecting children's health. Getting in the earlier, the better. You know, you asked about some of the issues among socioeconomic families, babies being born really, really early or babies being born really, really underweight. That's obviously not, you know, quote unquote, the baby's fault or there's nothing baby could have done different to affect that situation, but more supports for the mother, more, more knowledge about what she needed to do during her pregnancy, more structure and stability in her environment, you know, is another change that could be made. And even if something is figured out a bit later on, you start to see the signs of struggle or the signs of illness in school, for example, especially when everyone was going to a building for school teacher were often the um, initial finders that something is not quite quite right, something is not quite in balance about that child. So incorporating the school system, offering the school system more resources to work with children, to work with parents, to expand everything that teachers offer to be able to reach kids and provide um, support at an even deeper level than, than they already are. You know, that's a possible change. When you get to levels of policy and government in federally funded programs, such as the one I'm working in, it's, you know, I and we can sit there and write the policy and have the meetings and talk to the hospitals and talk to the insurance systems and say, well, we need to do this and let's have Uber drive everybody and let's build more housing for the homeless and let's build more stores and that sort of thing. And those things are great. And that's part of what we're working on but someone is not going to be able to utilize the store if they're not able to get there. Someone is not going to be able to get to even know that these resources are available if we send a letter in the mail and they can't read, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, the answer to your question is your question is really starting on these foundational functional issues as early as possible in as many, um, in many places, whether it's the school, on TV, media has a huge influence on kids and health and the way people think, you know, influencing media, influencing schools, influencing even the way we treat ourselves and treat our family members, um, because you, you never know when something that you can teach somebody is going to help them to be an excellent parent, help them through an illness, help them figure out something that will positively influence their health. So I think starting as early as possible in as many ways as possible is, is the way to create change. Yeah, I love it. And I, I love that, again, you're in a position where you have the ability to do that. You have the ability to look at the bigger picture and help those who are on one spectrum, but also be able to educate others who are just starting off, whether it's the classes you mentioned or just giving more resources or engaging with the community, all those different things can definitely make a difference. 
And, you know, a lot, a lot of MDs that I know um, wouldn't make time for that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that people like you, Dr. Y, are, are, are really the ones who are going to be the game changers because not only do you care from the perspective of being a clinician, but you also care from the perspective of knowing what's just best for your community, what's best for the human population, for the human race, for people in general. And I think a lot of us as healthcare providers can be very, not even on the clock, because you know sometimes there are no clocks, but just exactly, very, very focused on what we're doing at that moment. And then we go home and do our own things, but there's a bigger picture in terms of how we are supposed to really be caring for each other and educating each other and looking at the bigger picture for our future, um, for our families, for our communities. And you're definitely doing that. Uh, so I, I salute you for that as well. Um, now, one of the things that I think is interesting about this situation is that I remember you texting me or maybe it was Instagram um, about personal training. And I was like, what are you, what are you, what are you asking about personal training? For? What are you what doing? You certified as a trainer. What are you talking about? And then lo and behold, I look back on your social media page and you're training people. Uh, so I'm curious. I know you mentioned in your bio that it becomes or it has become a an outlet for you, but people can have all kinds of outlets, right? Some people can just you know chill or watch TV or what have you. You picked what others have as their profession as your outlet, and you're changing lives in a totally different way as a coach and a trainer. Uh, talk to us about how this this progression happened. And talk to us about this other side of you, which is this coaching side with Orange Theory. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. And I'm trying to recall, did I reach out to you years ago when I was trying to figure out which personal training certification? Yes. Was that what that was? Yeah. (laughs) I just recall that as you said that. Yes. Because I, I somehow either you posted or I knew, and I don't know if this was before or in the midst of physical therapy, but you were doing personal training also. And, and so it was just that I had been doing what well, used to take, take me through the progress. You know, as a kid, I started in gymnastics and then dance and volleyball. And I stayed with dancing and volleyball even throughout college. You know, we got to dance together. So some of this comes from, I love music. I love movement. It's fun. You know, and when I was little, those were the days of step aerobics. So there was also working out, you know, with music. And then there was Taibo. I can't remember if Taibo had music in the background or not, you know, but you're moving and no music. I don't know. <laughs> but either way, it was just, it was fun. <laughs> it was fun to, I've always liked the combination of movement and music. And then I have that, you know, competitive athletic side as well. Um, that a lot of us do, you know, you pick your sport that you do, or at least try to do, and just it's in you, you know, when you're on a team and you get that fire and you just want to just compete, you know, you just want to be challenged and compete, Um, even in individual sports as well. So there's that nature. Uh, During medical school and residency and fellowship, there was no way that I was going to be able to maintain that schedule and still compete on a team and unfortunately the dancing was limited to my living room you know i couldn't be in a dance company just time you know you you have to devote uh, such a vast amount of time to the training that some of those other things are not uh, are not available but what i was still able to do was get to the gym on occasion um so and being in something that is so academic heavy you know you sit and you think and you focus and you memorize and you read and you think and you test and you know just sitting 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 
So that side of me that wants to run and jump and dance and move and compete was just not, I mean, 80 hours a week, I was not doing the thing that my body wanted to do, you know? Um, so the few times that I could get to the gym, I just absolutely loved it. it. And, you know, once I finally got there, no matter how tired I was, you get through that workout and you're sweating and you just feel good, you know, it feels so good. So that's really what um, helped create balance and keep me going during some of those really tough years in training. So I continued that as much as I could, you know, on and off. There were years that were much more difficult than others, um, but continued, you know, going to the gym on my own as much as I possibly could. When I made the transition from clinical care into public health, my current public health role, because I'm not seeing patients every single day, I don't have the same call schedule as doctors in the hospital. Um, so now I have the opportunity to have a bit more of a flexible schedule. I still take call overnight, but it's by phone, you know, problem solving. And I'm able to structure my day such that I can put out an hour here or there for working out. I can actually go dance outside or in a studio as opposed to just in my living room. So then when I got into group fitness class and started doing Orange Theory, and also I was meeting other interesting people. You know, it's easy in doctor land to just work with doctors and nurses all day, all night. Doctors and nurses are fantastic, and there's more people on earth. You know, you can train physically and work with all of the other physical trainers and everybody that works in your building. But there's, more, you know, there's architects and engineers and cooks and chefs and people that deliver, but, you know, just so many interesting people. So it also became a social outlet in a way because I'd be on the wait station right next to somebody and maybe they happened to say something and I'd you know, learn something about their lives. So it just provided such nice balance to be there. And after taking classes for about six months and I kind of saw how they ran, that athlete part came back in me. And besides being on the team and doing the stuff, I wanted to lead it. I felt like I can do that. I can be that person that, you know, is helping the other people figure out what to do. Kind of like, you know, when we were in dance together, when we were in the dance company, you know, all of us were available to be in anyone's dance. But if you wanted to choreograph, and I remember you did, Sean, you you wanted to lead it. You know, you picked the dance style that you liked or whatever song that you liked it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can, I can do this. I can design this dance and, and, you know, lead these people through it. So it was that it was that kind of feeling. I wanted to choreograph. I wanted to lead. I wanted to do that thing. So in order to do that, I needed the personal training certification. Who do I know that's already doing this successfully? That's when I, you know, noticed and reach out to you, like, what do you think? Which one should I do? How should I go about this? You gave me some tips. So I got certified, um, got trained in Orange Theory Fitness, and now I still go as a member, but I also coach. So that was, you know, the pathway uh, to being from, you know, a kid, gymnast, volleyball player, dancer, gym rat kind of person on occasion to now coaching at Orange Theory Fitness as one of the things that I do. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That is <laughs> fantastic. And I mean, it makes sense. I took a couple of things from that. I took the, the fact that, you know, and I don't know if it's a brown thing, maybe it's uh, something that's in our DNA as people, but there's nothing that we don't think we can do. I don't think there's anything that <laughs> we don't true. think we can do. If there's something that's out there, you can see it done. We think we can do it. And the fact that you were like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> and then you went out and literally are, are doing it. It's just, it, it boggles my mind, but it's not surprising because I think that's just part of our DNA as people. We just are, 
we're programmed to think that we can do anything, which I think is a great thing. And a lot of people don't have that mindset that they can actually go out there and do certain things. All the excuses and the barriers get in the way of, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not this and that, you know, and that gets in the way of people even trying. But for some of us, it, it really comes down to, um, it really comes down to us being like, hey, you know what, we can do this and we just get it done. And I love it. It's fantastic. Um, so wait, so what classes do you actually teach at Orange Theory? What, what are your classes? Yeah, so Orange Theory is um, it's a national chain and it's set up, you know, it's a corporate type of thing. And so every single class involves some amount of treadmill, rowing, and weight floor. And so you spend about 15 to 20 minutes at each station. Every single day, the workout is different. You know, they've, they've got a whole template design team that does all the programming and so on. Um, and so we're provided, you know, with the templates for today and lead the class through different um, approaches to running, rowing, and strength training on the weight. So there's some power days, there's some strength days, there's some endurance days. Sometimes you're running three minutes at a time. Sometimes you're doing 30 seconds really fast, then walk and recover. 30 seconds fat, you know, kind of like sprints intervals. Um, so variety of things at each different station. But that's what that's what Orange Theory is, is the rowing, the tread, and the weightlifting. Love it. I love it. So the big question I have for you now is, so MD by day, trainer by afternoon or night, right? And you're combining <laughs> these things into your life to make you a better person. Have you found any ways, or have you thought about ways to incorporate this for the population that you oversee in terms of adolescence? Ooh, I would love to. And if anyone listening to this podcast has ideas on how to do that, then I welcome them. Please contact me or anybody in your local area to get this done for kids in the area, because I would absolutely love that. You know, I mean, I think um, part of what we're talking about is, is just having a health and fitness and overall wellness outlet. And what, what comes to my mind is I'm thinking about this, you know, school PE maybe used to be that sort of, um, but what is the state of schools now? You know, do you even have PE anymore? And, you know, maybe some do and some don't. It's one of the first things to be taken away with art, music, and PE. Um, even school sports teams, you know, some have them, some don't. Um, so there are those things. You know, I think one of the things about bringing this to children is to meet the children where they're at. Because I could say, oh, yeah, come to Orange Theory, all you 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds. Okay, sure. With kids, you know, there's um, the kids need to be safe. The parents need to make sure that the kids are safe. There's a lot of responsibility for the adult overseeing that class. It's not impossible, but it's just a different setup. There are different requirements when children are involved. Could I personally offer a class to kids? Absolutely. But what it would take systemically, you know, for the parents to be able to have that trust for there to be enough people that knew how to adjust and work with kids because kids are not little adults they have their own ways of thinking and behaving and so on you know so to apply that to them that would take some work um and even just the system if I could I would absolutely do it for free you know however there's a building that needs to be paid for there's equipment that needs to be paid for in adult land this is why we pay fees to go to the gym and so on and so forth so you know you asked about the kids that I serve specifically in California, these are kids of the lowest income families of the entire state, you know? So how could this be offered to kids of lower income families? It would take investors or contributors or something like that, you know, to help make the system work. Um, so yes, I think it's possible, but those creative minds that can see a way through and over some of the roadblocks 
would be required because there are people like me who are willing to do it. We just need the system in place, the access. You know, we need, we need the access uh, for children to be able to, to teens, adolescents to be able to participate in something like this. I hear that. Mm-hmm. Final question, Hannah, why, Dr. Why? You know, the, the phrase be more today is something that I've used a number of ways, but it means something different to everybody else. So when you hear the phrase be more today, what does that phrase in your life at this point mean to you? Mm-hmm. Be more today. I love that phrase because it is straightforward. And to me, it embodies presence and mindfulness. And what I mean by presence and mindfulness, you know, it starts with the word be. It doesn't necessarily say do more. And a lot of us, you know, you mentioned it before, like we think we can do anything. You know, my first thought is do. What can I do? Have I done enough? You know, I measure myself by do. Because this isn't be more today. It's not do more today. It's be more today. You know, you can be you can be an event, I can be more organized, I can be more task oriented, I can also be more playful today, I can be more happy today, you know, it's a, it's an all encompassing presence, you know, that I really like, and it says be more, so that's, you know, adding, even if it's a centimeter more, or a minute more, or a color more, or, you know, one extra centimeter that you stand tall, I'm going to be taller today, <laughs> I'm just going to stand tall today, the mindfulness part in terms of today, you know, it's not a New Year's resolution that I have to do for the entire year. It's not um, changing my whole life and my personality forever and ever. But this what you know, these 12, 16, 18 hours that I'm going to be alive today, that mindfulness, how can I be present and mindful in, in these hours right, right now to be that much whatever I decided is compared to yesterday, a present and mindful person. I, I love it. I love the phrase. I love the mantra, something that I think about every single day. I've never even thought about it in terms of that ever before. The, the concept of really? being and not doing, never thought about that. And, I, and I've said it a number of times. I've probably said it in various ways that mimic that. But the way you just verbalized it just now in the sense of being as opposed to doing. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. It's, exactly what this it is. is why I look up to you. Design these profound phrases, and you didn't even realize. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Doctor Why, I appreciate you so much. Where can people follow you on social media or otherwise? Sure. Yes. Thank you for asking. I am on Facebook under my name, as it is spelled, Hannah H A N N A H, last name A W A I. And on Instagram, you might be able to find me by that spelling as well, but I go by a name that a college friend um, gave me in terms of friendships in the Yellow Rose. She used to call me Yellow Rose. So my handle on Instagram, um, there's no W in it because the W was already taken. So it's Y-E-L-L-O-R-O-S-E-1-6, Yellow Rose 1-6, but no W on Instagram. Awesome. Dr. Wyatt, thank you so much for joining me today. You have made episode 89 one for the books. And if I'm ever in California, I'm going to holler at you and join one of your classes yes, for sure. Please. Thank you. And likewise for the East Coast. No problem. And folks, don't forget what she said. So many things today, right, about giving back, not just uh, policy-wise in terms of her, her clients and her community, but also giving back and showing people how they can be physically fit on a regular basis. She's doing things from both ends. And that's exactly what Arthur was talking about in his quote, from what we get, we can make a living. What we give, however, makes a life. And she's living her life like it's golden. 
in sunny California. So follow her on social media. And as always, follow us, bemoretoday.com for my book, our podcast, our swag store. Go get some swag if you want to be more today, wherever you are. And again, please like and subscribe our podcast moving every single Monday, doing more episodes so you can be more today, every single day. Any questions you have for me, or if you want to contact Dr. Y directly, email me at drshawn at bemoretoday.com or send me a message on any of our media platforms for Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. As I always say, folks, have a good day, have a good night, have a great life, and continue to take your steps to greatness to be the best version of you. We'll see you next week. Peace. your why. Why do you want to be more today than you were yesterday? You already know that you have to trust the process and just be persistent. You already know that next level results require next level effort, period. But why is today different than any other day? What's your why? How are you going to get to the next level? See, most of you want to make it to the promised land of success, but aren't willing to make the sacrifices. Let me be clear. Nobody said it was going to be easy. No handouts. No excuses. It's just you versus you. It's go time. Find your wife for the 5 a.m. wake-up call. Find your wife for the extra mile you have to do after the workout. Find your wife to face that fear. Take that test. Make that move. Come on, y'all. Your whole life has been a warm-up for this moment right here. Today. Are you finally ready to play? You got to decide to stay always on the move. Less talk, more action. Just be better. Just be more. Be more today. You know.